still ready this morning? All right, open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, 1 through 9, and as we come to our verses, we need a reminder that we're in the midst of what's been called the hostafeln, and that simply means house tables or house rules. It's long been viewed as a social code for Christians as to how we are to operate within society as a Christian family and household. Now, the Hostafeln opens with this particular admonition in 521 of Ephesians to submit to one another in the fear of God or with reverence for God. Now, Paul begins the Hostafeln with the husband-wife relationship in the home. Initially, he addresses the wife first, and we were reminded that ladies first is still a good rule. Young men, ladies first is still a good rule. Now, and then at the end, Paul reverses the order when he ends with section, ends the section of verse 33. We'll talk about that in a minute. Now, from this we are reminded, uh, we rather reminded the wives that submission is part of the Christian life, not just being a Christian wife. We all have to submit. We have to submit to one another. We have to submit to the Lord in the fear of God. Submit meaning to come under arrangement. It doesn't mean women are inferior. It doesn't mean women have no voice or opinion or any of the other wrongful negative attachments that submit has created over the years. Now, we also reminded husbands that happy wife, happy life is not just a statement or a saying. It's biblical. We have a responsibility to make sure our homes are happy homes. And we also recognize that submission for the wife is not without condition. Wives are to submit to their husbands, but they are not to submit to unbiblical demands. And they are to show respect for the husband's position, and that is based on the husband's Christ-like love for his wife. Now, Paul said in 5.15 of Ephesians, See then that, that you walk, walk being a metaphor for life, for living, how? Circumspectly, meaning exactly. Not as fools, which would be the opposite of walking exactly, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Are we living in evil days today? Yeah. Is it getting worse by the day? Yeah. Is the love of many growing cold? Yeah. Is lawlessness abounding? Yeah. So we need to know exactly how to walk in times such as these and in any other for that matter. Now in this section, Paul is going to stay within the household, if you will. And he's going to deal with the child-parent relationship. Then... Figuratively speaking, he's going to take us to work. And we're going to examine the employer-employee relationship. And in both areas, he's going to deal with both the how-to and the benefits of walking exactly as God has prescribed as a child or parent or a boss or employee. Now, we have, as we have in previous weeks, a chance to do some doctrinal housekeeping some of it is quite necessary and even urgent, I would say. And this is true in any age, especially in an age where sound doctrine is not being endured. People won't put up with it. As this group of pastors I was with uh, yesterday, the common thread between them all, the thing we've all heard, the thing I've shared with you before, is that people, pastors, aren't teaching the Bible anymore. We need to rightly divide the word of truth. Amen. For there's no benefit in fairy tales and stories or illustrations or culturally relevant or sensitive statements that are meant to tickle the ear of the hearer. We need to hear the truth. 
because the truth makes us free. Amen? Amen. Now, a couple of examples as to how far gone our culture is. Last week, I ran across what has to be the most ridiculous, and dare I say, the stupidest headline that's ever been written. You have to want to know what that is. It is the dumbest thing I have ever seen. They should pull the journalist card from the goofball who wrote this headline. You want to know what it is? It came from the Associated Press, and it said, it will take more than rain to end the drought in the western U.S. More than rain. I, I thought a drought was no rain. And I thought rain ended the no rain thing. But apparently it's going to take more than that to end the drought that we're all experiencing. And guess what the article was about? It was about climate change. Well, I do believe in climate change. I just call it by what it used to be called by weather. The climate does change. Amen? Listen, in these United States of America, I mentioned this on Wednesday, a man, let me underscore that, a man, there's two genders, let me underscore that, and it is a man and a woman, that's the end of God's gender list, a man who thinks he is a woman was promoted to the office of four-star admiral over the 6,000 uniformed members of the U.S. Public Health Service Commission Corps. A man, did you get that? A man who thinks he's a woman was promoted to the office of four-star admiral over the Public Health Service Commission Corps who is responsible for deploying the country's public health workers in times of crisis like the pandemic or a flood or an earthquake or hurricane or things of that nature. So someone who actually needs mental health counseling <laughs> is in charge of our mental health or public health organization. Our world, our country has lost its mind. And much of the church has gone woke, which is code for they're totally asleep. And yet in the midst of all the madness, God says, here's exactly how I want you to walk. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Husbands, love your, wife, love your wives as Christ does the church. Children, obey your parents. Servants, obey your masters. Masters, be kind to your servants. Now, let me ask you this. If everybody did those things, would we have a different world? Yes. Absolutely. Now, this morning, I have to tell you, I kind of fought this title because it's a little bit wordy and a little lengthy, but it just can't be replaced. Because the fact is, what is true today and needs to be our mantra every day as Christians, especially in times such as these, is this. Listen this morning. God is right and the world is wrong. God is right and the world is wrong. Let me give you some examples. The world says children can choose their genders. God says that happened before they were even born. The world says no one should have more than anyone else. God says no one should have something they didn't earn. The world says everybody gets a trophy. God says, nope, you will reap what you have sown, not what someone else has. And this could be a title for every sermon because no matter what the text is or the topic is, God is always right. 
And if the world is in opposition to it, the world is wrong. wrong. And this is important beyond the obvious reality of it. And we'll discuss that in a moment. But we need to understand and remember what God says, which is going to be right, about the parent-child relationship. We need to remember what God says, which is going to be right, about the boss-employee relationship and what that should look like no matter what the world thinks, says, or believes. Somebody say, Amen. So, stand and read with me, please, from Ephesians chapter 3. We'll look at verses 1, 3, 1 through 3 to start, and then we'll work our way down through verse 9 as we go. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And Lord, we are thankful for these verses this morning and the previous ones that allowed us to address your plan, your purpose, the exact way you want us to live. And Lord, because we're going to talk about things that are contrary to culture today, I pray that you give us ears to hear them and a spirit to receive them and not reject them, but rather embrace them, Lord. So have your way in this room. Move by your spirit. Touch our hearts by your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, our doctoral housekeeping becomes necessary immediately as we have to ask the question, what is it that Paul uses to establish the child's behavior within the home in the New Testament age? He uses the Ten Commandments. He goes back to the second recording of the law. That's what Deuteronomy means, the second law. First recording is in Exodus 20, where we find the Ten Commandments. The second record of them is in Deuteronomy chapter 5, where the Bible says this, Moses holding the pen. Honor your father and mother, as the Lord your God has what? Commanded, commanded you. Not suggested or not implies it's a good idea. The Lord your God has commanded you to honor your father and mother that your days may be long, and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. Now again, the reason we need to pause here is because Paul uses the Ten Commandments from the Old Testament to establish a New Testament principle for living. Now, he includes the fact that the blessings of obedience are still intact today, as well as the implied consequences of disobedience. Now, does that mean that we have to keep the Ten Commandments in order to be saved? No. But what it does mean is that in the New Testament age, in the church age, keeping the commandments of God is part of what defines how you walk exactly as God wants you to. And therefore, we are to do these things that are commanded in it. We are to walk circumspectly as imitators of God and dear children, and as it applies to children, to honor, promote richness with your father and mother. Now, I have to pause here for a moment because it's going to save me time answering emails this week. <laughs> People will often say, okay, you said that we still have to heed the Ten Commandments. What about the Fourth Commandment? Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Well, should we be keeping the Sabbath? We are keeping the Sabbath, absolutely. In Mark 2, 23 to 27, we're told it happened that when he, Jesus, went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of grain, and the Pharisees said to him, Jesus, look, why do you do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? 
But he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? He and those who were with him and how he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which it is not lawful for, uh, to eat except for the priest, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, listen close now, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of what? Lord of the Sabbath. Jesus made it very clear that the Pharisees were misinterpreting what the Sabbath was all about. And the restrictions they enforced were not in the spirit of the command. And that's why Jesus and uh, healing on the Sabbath and his disciples gleaning on the Sabbath was always getting him in hot water with the Pharisees who totally did not understand the Sabbath. Jesus said, man was not created for Sabbath observation. Sabbath observation was instituted for the sake of man. <coughs> Excuse me. Shabbat or Sabbath literally means an intermission or rest. Sometimes we need an intermission, right? Yeah. Not during the message. We're not uh, going <laughs> to get popcorn or anything during the message. But listen, we need a break sometimes. Yeah. We need to rest. After all, God set the example six night day cycles. He created everything. And on the seventh day, he rested. And the Sabbath was made for man. It was made as an intermission for man, not man to observe the Sabbath, is what Jesus is saying. And think about what he offered in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, our theme verse for the year uh, included there. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest, rest intermission, or Rest, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find what? Rest for your souls. <coughs> Excuse me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, Paul would give further clarity on this where he's talking about eating things sacrificed to idols and a lot of things being forced on other citizens where he talks about in Romans 14 that one person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced where? In his own mind. Now, we also know from 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, Paul says this, Concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must also do. On the first day of the week, let each one of you set, uh, lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I Come. Paul said, lay something aside on the first day of the week. He said that because that's when the church has always met. When did Jesus raise from the dead? Early in the morning on the first day of the week. The church has always met on the first day of the week. When is Shabbat? Starts at sundown on Friday and runs through sundown on Saturday. Should we be governed by and dictated by the moon? No. Our rest is in Jesus. And we're not uh, shunning the Sabbath by not observing a Saturday day of rest. Christ is our rest and we are in him. So for those who were going to email me and say we should have church on Saturday, no. <laughs> Back to our regularly scheduled message. Now, <coughs> excuse me. The fifth commandment is used by Paul to give a directive to children. Obey your parents. He says, here's why. That's God's will. 
obey your parents because it's God's will. How you do that is to honor them, which means, which means to promote richness or to treat with reverence or to acknowledge and respect. And listen, what we also need to recognize is that expected child obedience is not exclusive to Christianity. It belongs to what theologians refer to as natural justice. In other words, something that God front-loaded into every human being and into every culture, a simple recognition of the authority of human parents. Children obey and honor your parents as standard behavioral expectation in every society. Whether it's a pagan and moral society, both the Greeks and the Romans taught it. The Stoic philosophers saw a son's in, uh, obedience to his father as necessary. In Oriental culture, Confucius promoted filial respect or family respect. All civilizations have regarded the recognition of parental authority as essential to a stable society until now. 2 Timothy 3, 1 and 2 says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. What's the next word? Disobedient, Disobedient to who? Parents. To parents, unthankful, unholy, We've read this list that goes on uh, down through verse 5 many times, and I think we all recognize it doesn't get any better as it goes. And what we're seeing today is the switching of roles where children are actually in charge, and Paul says that's a formula for perilous times. And parents who say their kids can choose their gender are actually a danger to their children. Parents who say kids should make their own sexual preference decisions are a danger to their children. Parents who do not discipline their children are a danger to their children. We'll find that to be so in a moment. And while there is certainly an implied threat in not honoring your parents, Paul chooses to put it in the positive and to focus on the promise rather than the threat. The promise was concerning material prosperity. Honor your father and mother, mother that it may uh, be well with you and long life that you may live long on the earth. Now there's two ways for us to look at this and they're both right. There are no blessings in disobedience. And all disobedience is outside of God's will. And therefore life is not good outside of God's will. So we ought to always follow what God says because he's always right and the world is always wrong. The second thing is, is that if a pattern of dishonoring and dis disrespecting authority is established early in life, there's going to be consequences for that later in life if it's not corrected. Now, I'll remind you that we established two weeks ago that submit is used for the wife and obey for children and servants. And this makes the point that the relationships are different. Uh, wives are not to be treated like children. Children are not parental equals. They need to be taught. They need to be trained. Now, for all the children here in the room, of which there are none, they're all in the children's ministry, and this isn't playing over the speakers in there, by the way. <coughs> but this is for all the parents to remember. Listen this morning. And again, our points this week, as they have been in this section, are very basic and practical, uh, kind of rubber meets the road type of thing. And that starts here. Listen this morning about being taught and nurtured and cared for. Needing to learn from others will be true through all of life. It's just a reality. We're always going to be learning, right? Needing to learn from others will be true through all of life. So why would it be an exception when you're a kid? 
I remember there was a poster that floated around for a while. Those of you who think you know it all are very annoying to those of us who do. <laughs> None of us do, right? We're always learning. You know, I, 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 there was a scene right in the middle of the whole shutdown thing when restaurants were just beginning to open up and all the other nonsense was going on. I was watching, Terry and I were in a restaurant, I was watching this older couple and they were probably pushing 80 and they were having uh, lunch a couple tables down from us and I just loved it. This guy whips out his smartphone, holds it up to the QR code, snaps a picture and starts showing the, his wife a menu. And I'm thinking, two months ago he didn't even know what a QR code was. <laughs> I know that because I didn't know what a QR code was. But now I know what it is, and I know how to work my phone, and I know how to look at the menu on my phone. We're always learning, right? We're never going to stop learning. And how much more do we need that process to begin early in life? Because the Proverbs tell us in 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the first thing you need to learn. But fools despise wisdom and what? Instruction. Proverbs 23.9 says, do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. And listen, it is foolish to think we have nothing more to learn. And it's doubly foolish to think that when literally everything you know, you learn from somebody else. We all need to continue to learn throughout life. And that starts as a child. Now, one caveat we need to insert here, and that is that the implication regarding children or that they are children living in the home, minor age children, so to speak. Now, there's always more to learn even after you leave the house, right? Yes. Thank you, Hello, I appreciate that. Anybody else want to get in on that? There's always more to learn even when you leave the home, but the mandate is for the purpose of establishing a pattern that will yield a more fruitful and long life for children still under the covering of their parents. Now, one thing before we move to the parents that we mentioned about wives, and it's also true for children. When a child has reached the age of accountability and they live in an unbelieving home and they come to faith in Jesus Christ and the parent says, I don't want you to believe in that stuff, believe it anyway. You, that's when you obey the Lord and put the Lord over the uh, unit that he has uh, defined and described as to how it ought to operate. Now, I, re I read uh, one example a pastor gave an example of a young teenager who was still living at home. <clears throat> and um, one of the uh, young students came to him, said, I got saved. My parents won't let me get baptized. And I'm under their authority. I still live in their house. What should I do? And he said, well, baptism doesn't save you. So as soon as you're out of the house, get baptized. Because uh, if the Lord comes for you now, you're still going to heaven. Yeah. So at this point, you can do both. You can honor God and you can obey your parents, um, you know, so there's obviously a million different things uh, that this would cover. But listen, when God said something, that's the end of the debate. And that's what we do, no matter how old you are. Amen. Amen. Now, <clears throat> kind of an example uh, of this uh, just popped in my head yesterday. I've said that I don't even know how many times I told this to Terry, probably too many times. And she would probably say, yeah, you've told me that too many times. <laughs> I've been to a lot of conferences over the years, a lot of conferences. Some of them were awesome. Some of them in a different category. <laughs> Not so often, awesome rather. And listen, I have to say, I would rate any conference that I've attended, not by the skill of the speakers or their fame or their prominence or 
the crowds that they draw. I would rate every single conference by the same criteria, which is what I do, and that is, did I learn anything? Exactly. We always need to be learning. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. So why in the world would children not to be under the tutelage and care of their parents? And yeah. this nonsense today that telling your kids what to do is restrictive and harms their development is actually the polar opposite of what is true. God is right and the world is wrong. And we have an entire generation among which are multitudes who have rejected all authority. I, I was thinking about a video I saw um, back when Portland was on fire for a month or more. And, uh, you know, these Antifa thugs, and that's what they are. They are thugs, lawless thugs. And they were, uh, had gone up to a, a gentleman and actually opened the door of his car, physically yanked him out of the car, and once they pulled the black belt out of the car, things changed direction. And the thing that blew my mind is when this black belt started to fight off a crowd of Antifa, the first thing they did was say, hey, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> like, why are you fighting back? We're supposed to get to do whatever we want without consequence. And you know what that's from? Children not being trained up in their home in the way that they should go. Now, I am thankful that there are multitudes and multitudes of awesome, God-fearing young men and women yeah. in the world today as well. Amen? Yeah. <clears throat> I did a wedding about a year ago, uh, and all of the bridesmaids and all of the groomsmen were West Point grads. I thought, man, there's still hope today. That's awesome. Awesome young people. Now let's look at verse 4. Paul now switches gears from the exact way children are to live to the exact way parents are to parent. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of who? The Lord. The Lord. Now, it uses the word father, and I have to say, some of the commentators, I felt maybe stretch this a little bit far to say that, you know, in the Greek, the word father can mean father and mother. I've never seen any example of that at all. But what I do believe is it needs to be considered through the lens of verse 2, where fathers and mothers are in view, telling us that raising kids is a co-op. Yeah, right. Amen? Yeah. Now, the point of verse 4 is important to establish the first point in that parenting is not tyranny, but parenting is training. Parenting is rebuking, which is the meaning of the word admonishing. And before we go any further, let me remind us of our title through these verses. In Psalm 119, 160, the psalmist writes, The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your, what kind of judgments? Righteous judgments endures for how long? Forever, Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture, say all scripture. all scripture. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for what? Correction, Correction for instruction in righteousness. Everything the Bible says is true. Amen. Everything the Bible says is right. Amen. And doing what the Bible says is right, even when it goes against culture. Listen. You still here? Yes. Here it comes. The Bible is even right when it goes against your opinion. Yes. 
Because if anything needs to change, when the two don't line up, it's not the Bible, it's your opinion. God is right and the world is wrong. wrong. Now, here's why we needed to establish that. Paul was writing against the cultural norms of the day. He was writing exactly the opposite of what Roman culture taught and allowed. A Roman father had absolute power over his family. He could sell his own family members as slaves. He could make them work in the fields and even put them in chains in order for them to do so. He could take the law into his own hands because the law was in his hands according to Roman culture. He could punish as he liked, as often as he liked, and he could even inflict the death penalty on his own children. Paul says, nope, that's not how you parent. And I think we recognize that for many today, the pendulum has swung in the other direction and leniency has replaced tyranny, but the balance is in the middle. We do need to train up. We do need to reprove and correct. Amen? Amen. Now, Paul says, don't raise your children in a way that makes them hate being your child, antagonizing them. But instead, bring them up in the Lord's way, which is through training and correction. Now, <coughs> is God always right? Yes. You sure? Yes. Okay, well, let's test that out. Okay. Proverbs 13, 24 says, He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him, what? Promptly. Here you've got the... Love-hate expressions contrasting one another with the actions of the parent. He who spares his rod hates his son, but he who loves him disciplines him promptly. Then in 22.15 of the Proverbs, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child, and the rod of correction will do what? Drive it far from him. Proverbs 23.13-14. Do not... That makes it a mandate. Do not withhold correction from a child. For if you beat him with the rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with the rod and deliver his soul from hell. Now, that's pretty aggressive language, right? Now, two things. The word beat doesn't mean what we think it means. Because Paul clarifies that he says if you beat him with a rod, he won't die. In other words, it means the actual word uh, means to strike lightly. Yes. To give him a spanking is what it means, not beat him to death. Now, the interesting part about this is that hate means to treat like an enemy. In other words, if you withhold correction from your child, you're treating them like an enemy. And they may very well become your enemy later in life. Proverbs says to not discipline your child is to treat them like an enemy and that's not how we're to treat our children. Amen? Amen. After all, does God discipline his children? Yes. Is it because he hates us? No. Is it because he loves yes. us? Absolutely. And the famed verse of Proverbs 22, 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, here's what's interesting. This verse that is quoted so often, train up means, the Hebrew word, to initiate Discipline, to be the disciplinarian, <clears throat> excuse me, of the home. And listen, when it comes to raising children, God is right and the world is wrong. Right. Now, here's how we know that. And again, very practical point. You ready? Yes. Everything God says to do will make us better people. Yes. 
just plain and simple, rubber meets the road, everyday life application. Everything God says to do will make us better people. We will have better husband-wife relationships by doing it God's way. I'm not sure what the pause there was, but you will raise better and happier kids by doing it God's way. Listen, they may not like it at the time, but it will bear fruit in the end if we train them up in the way that they should go, which is always the way God said to do it. Now, think about it in Hebrews 12, 11. Now, no chastening, no discipline seems to be joyful for the present. Can anybody say amen to that? But it's what? Painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Now, listen, discipline is not to be rendered based upon the reaction of the recipient. Well, that hurts. Well, yeah. That's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to be a reminder. And no chastening is joyful. I don't like being disciplined to you. And think about it. The more that we do what he says, the more like Jesus we're going to be. Because Jesus said in John 8, 29, I always and only do that which pleases the Father. So if you always and only do that which pleases the Father, you're going to be like Jesus. And there is no better person who has ever lived than him. And therefore, doing what God says is always for the purpose of the betterment of our lives, for our enjoyment, and for our good, and to make us better people. Now, we've talked about God's plan for children, God's plan for parents. So you ready to go to work? I know it's Sunday. Let's take a look at what the boss-employee relationship looks like. We've got some deep water here, so we'll spend our second hour there. (laughs) Verses 5 through 9. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. With good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him him. Now, the word bond slave is the Greek word doulos. It means slave, voluntary or involuntary. In the Roman Empire, there were as many as 60 million slaves from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. There was no racial association with slavery in the Pax Romana or the Roman Empire. Some of the slaves were working off a financial debt. They'd have an agreement with somebody. I owe you money. Let me work it off. Others were actually people who were purchased. Some were actually captured by the Romans in their forays into other countries, establishing the Roman Empire. Slaves could own property. Slaves could own a business. Many of them were highly educated. And the vast majority of slaves in the Roman Empire had earned or been given their freedom before they were even 30 years old. Were there abusive slave owners? Absolutely. But they were the exception and not the rule. There were slaves who were members of the Senate. There were slaves who were doctors, many of whom went on to be more prominent and even prosperous than their former owners. 
Now, the reason we need to know this is because people say, Bible detractors and attackers say, the Bible condones slavery by its silence because it is not outrightly condemned. And the problem with that is that Roman slavery looked more like the boss-employee relationship than it does the slavery that was a blight on our country some 150 years ago. You cannot compare the two. There was a racial group who was oppressed and afflicted and carried away from their own country unwillingly, and it was exclusively that group that was carried off in our country. So when somebody makes that argument, shut them down. You cannot compare the two and say the Bible condones slavery by its silence. The Bible simply told Christians how to act in relation to a culturally accepted norm. It does not, the Bible does not condone one person owning another like a piece of property. Because after all, we've already been bought and paid for by the blood of the Lamb. Amen? Now listen to Paul's dialogue with someone who is in this specific relationship, a man named Philemon in uh, verses 8 through 17 of Paul's letter to him. He said, therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, in other words, I might tell you what to do, yet for love's sake I rather appeal to you instead, being such a one as Paul, the aged, and now a prisoner of Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, whom I have begotten while in my chains, who was once unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I'm sending him back. You therefore receive him, that is, my own heart, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent, I wanted to do nothing. And Paul's saying, you know what? I wasn't going to have this guy stay with me without your blessing. That your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it will, but voluntary. For perhaps he departed for this purpose, that you might receive him forever, no longer as a what? A doulos, but more than a slave. A beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If you then count me as a partner, Paul says, receive him as you would me. But if he wronged you or owes anything, implying Onesimus was working off a debt, put that on my account. Onesimus was a runaway doulos. Paul told his friend and the master of Onesimus, Philemon, that perhaps his departure or running away from you was so that he could meet me and that I would share the gospel with him and that he might return to you not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ Jesus. Now, again, the Bible detractors say Paul should have demanded his absolute and unconditional release. And again, slavery in the Roman form was normal and even unaddressed in historical records because it was simply how the economies of the world operated in that day. And let me underscore it again. Do not compare Roman slavery with the slavery that was in America and Great Britain and the Caribbean and other places. They are two completely different things. Now, we need to note that every time in these passages we find a directive given, whether to submit or to obey, It is always attached to a reference to the Lord. Do this as unto Christ or as unto the Lord. And that means that as a doulos, the servant was serving God. And therefore they were to do so in sincerity of heart as unto the Lord. Now Colossians 3, 22 to 25, parallel book, Paul says, bond servants, 
Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. But he who does wrong will be repaid for what he has done, for there is no partiality. Paul is saying the same thing here in Ephesians chapter 6. Don't just do your job when a boss is looking. Hello? Don't just do your job when the boss is looking. But remember, your real boss is always looking. And you are actually bondservants of Christ and not man. And basically, that is our final point as we wrap up this section on how to walk exactly as we should in every aspect of life. And the one banner we can hang over everything we've learned these uh, past three weeks is this. Again, simplistic, but pretty rubber meets the road true. Listen this morning. You ready? We're all working for the same boss. We're all working for the same boss. So do your service, whatever it may be, is unto the Lord, knowing that whatever good you do will in turn be received back from the Lord because that's who we're working for. We are working for and representing him in the workplace and in the boss-employee, child, parent, husband, wife relationship. The implication Paul is talking about is in regards or relation to eternal rewards. He says, masters, bosses and employers, you're under the same directive. For you have a master too. And he's seated a lot higher than you. And he shows no partiality to anyone's earthly position. And he expects the same from the slave and the master. And that is doing all that you do as unto the Lord. Why is it so quiet in here? You guys knock it off. Now, Paul tells the bosses or masters, give up threatening. In other words, if you're in charge... Don't be a tyrant. Treat people with goodwill from the heart as to the Lord. Have you ever met one of those people that shouldn't have any authority whatsoever? Yeah, we've all met those kind of people. And, and this is why we have to understand our title this morning. You just do it God's way. You know, I, I think we need to remember, I know God was bragging on Job but he was bragging on Job for being an upright man in all of his ways who feared God. You know, God's not impressed with any of our abilities. You know, he's not looking down and saying, wow, look at that one. Man, man, that one is something else. Uh, he says that, but I don't think it's in that same. That one's something else, all right. Now, in 4.1 of Colossians, Paul says, Masters, give to your bondservants what is just and fair, knowing that you also have a master who's where? In heaven. In John 13.12-17, the premier example of this was given to us by Jesus at the Last Supper. And when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and sat down again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, one who is above all of you, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you a what? An example. He's not instituting foot washing services. 
He's giving them a life application example. I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. In other words, take the humble position. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, we just learned them. If you know these things, blessed are you if you what? If you do them. Now, church is just that simple. We're all working for the Lord. He is our master. And the Bible says we are his doulos. So what our role is as a slave in his kingdom is irrelevant because he's ahead of us all and he shows no partiality. And this is why Paul would say in that culture of the day in 720 of uh, 1 Corinthians that each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. Were you called, meaning called to the Lord, while a slave? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can be made free, rather use it or, or yeah, be free. That's better. For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's what? Christ's doulos, Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become the slaves of men, brethren. Let each one remain with God in that state in which he was called. And listen, God is right and the world is wrong. We should husband and wife the way God said to. We should parent the way God said to. We should be a child the way God said to. We should be an employee the way God said to. We should be an employer the way God said to. Because after all, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And we are his subjects. And what we do in his kingdom is far less important than how we do it. He wants us to do all that we do for his glory. Whether you're a wife or a husband, a child or a parent, a boss or employee, we're all working for him. And we need to be busy about the Father's business because time's running out. Amen? Amen. And listen, I, I, I hope maybe we brought a little clarity to some of these things because it just, I don't know about you, but I, I get riled up when somebody starts throwing accusations at the Bible. Yeah. Oh, the Bible condones slavery. Oh, it does not. Shut up. <laughs> oh, the Bible is just, the Bible is misogynistic. It, Really? Well, you know nothing about Jesus because all he did was elevate women above the cultural norms. So let's not put up with this stuff and all this nonsense going on. And you know, it's interesting, Jack and I were talking yesterday, and we kind of came to the same conclusion at the same time. We've got to stop putting up with this stuff because it's killing our country. We, the church, need to stand up. And, you know, as we were having each of our, our times of prayer, I just was so reminded of the importance of the church. You know, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Yeah. The singular source. The world has one source of light, and light is a metaphor for truth. There's only one resource the world has by which they can know the truth, and that's the church. We are the salt of the earth. We are the world's only preserving and purifying influence. There is no other. And if we go silent, what then? The world starts looking like it does today. And you know, there's a lot of bullies out there. You notice that? And in the media and all these other uh, threats and censorship efforts that are being 
made today. So you know what? It's time for hand-to-hand -hand combat. Person to person, speak the truth. I mean, they keep censoring us. And um, yeah, I hope Trump does come up with this social media platform. Um, I think that'd be great to be able to say what's on your mind uh, without fear of censorship by a bunch of people that wouldn't know a fact if it hit them in the face. Right. <laughs> I'd be on that, wouldn't you? Because this is the world we live in. We live in a tech-savvy world, and we need to use that to our advantage. But listen, if they're going to take it from us, gosh, I guess we'll just have to rely on the Holy Spirit <laughs> to inspire us to tell people about Jesus, kind of like we're supposed to be doing, right? Yeah, hey, put it out there on social media. But nothing is going to replace good old-fashioned, hand-to-hand, telling people about Jesus seeing people come to faith in Christ because you and I were telling them that there is a hope in this hopeless world and his name is Jesus. And he is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. He's not going to be. He already is. He's not used to be a consuming fire. He still is. And he is coming to judge the world. There's no question about that and the world is preparing itself uh, for the antichrist to be sure so it's all the more important that we walk exactly like god said we should because yeah. we're running out of time and remember who it is we are actually working for he is the one in charge let's work for him all day every day until he comes to get us somebody say Amen. Father, we are grateful for your word. We pray, Lord, as we make our way through these uh, incredible truths and seek to apply them in our lives, we thanks for the, thank you for the promise of blessing to those who do them. These things became knowledge today. May they become life principles and application all the days of our lives. And we're blessed and honored, God, to know you. Thank you for calling us by name, putting our tears in your bottle, numbering the hairs of our heads, uh, God, just all the wonderful descriptive phrases that we find in Scripture to describe the intimate, loving, and kind relationship you desire to have with your people. So for that, we're grateful, Lord. And I pray for we as a church, God, that we would finish strong and that we would stand fast. And Lord, that we would uh, finish our race and run it with endurance and lay aside the weights and sins that so easily beset us and slow us down. And Lord, in these last days, that we keep our eyes on the prize, even as we resist the devil that he might flee from us. Help us in these things. And help us, Lord, to walk exactly as you say, not according to our own opinions or the counsel of the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, next week. Spiritual battle. I think we just might need to hear that. And uh, remember, November 7th, we'll be uh, headed for three services. And again, I'd ask you, uh, please uh, throw up a prayer for me tomorrow. Got a busy day, a busy, wonderful day. It's always a privilege uh, to speak on the Lord's behalf from his word. Uh, so I, I would appreciate your prayers uh, for a very uh, busy day. So with that said, would you all stand?